But chapter 2 of Acts is a very pivotal and important piece of, of uh, scripture. I mean, you know, everything in, this, in the Bible is important, isn't it? I mean, you know, Josh kept saying uh, some well-known verses. They're all well-known, Graham, aren't they? They should be, at least. Everything's important. But there are some things that are absolutely vital that we know about and, and, and are certain about. And chapter 2 of Acts is one of those pieces of uh, scripture. And we talked about it last week, didn't we, that that uh, in, in the book of Acts, uh, in chapter 2, we have the birth or the origin or start, the beginning, all of those words, you know, of the church. The church was born, which was last week's sermon title. That's you and me. That's why it's so important for us to know. It's always great to to look back at history. I'm a bit of a history buff. I love history, any sort of history. But to look back at something that's actually relevant. I mean, we just finished, uh, I thought I just finished watching a series on on the the House of Tudor. You know, Henry VIII and his many, 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 many wives. Um, and it was really, it's very fascinating, interesting, but yeah, no relevance, Josh. I've only got the one wife. One is plenty, let me tell you. <laughs> one is plenty. But to, to, to look back at some history that's actually relevant to you, I mean, some of us here are more senior, can look back to, you know, when they were children during a major world war or, or a, a great economic depression. Uh, some of us, like myself, uh, sat in a classroom and watched Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. How about that, Ma- uh, Mason, eh? That's pretty good, to see someone walking on the moon in black and white. It was. So that's why Acts chapter 2 is, is, is important and should be fascinating for you and me this morning because it talks about the church that we are members of. And it's not something that happened just long ago. It's an ongoing process, the building and growing of the church. It's still being built. It's still growing. It has a future. Something will happen to the church in the future. And we'll be part of that. That's why it's fascinating. So we come to this portion here this morning, and 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 if you haven't listened to last week's message, if you're watching out there in TV land, I would encourage you to do that because you can't really get the the full context of what I'll say this morning unless you you understand what was happening, what happened last week, you know, in the in the sermon last week. Because we will refer to it, and I did allude to that last week, didn't I, that there'll be a bit of an overlap and we're referring back, and this will happen. So here here we go. In chapter 2, verse 11, I hope you have your Bible there, it says there, we hear them. This is the, the crowd that was there. They're the big crowd that we talked about last week that heard all that was being said in their own language. There were lots and lots of different languages that the disciples uh, spoke in. And they heard, and it says, we, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue or language. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What does it mean? 
So what was actually being talked about were the wonders of God. That's, that's what was happening in that, in that huge crowd that we had last week. I'll just put up this first slide just to give you a bit of a, a reminder. It worked, Andrew. You know, there's a huge crowd and they heard all these, all these, uh, different, uh, things said and they were the wonders of God. It wasn't a gospel message. It wasn't a sermon, but a declaration, a praising and worshipping of God in their own tongue. They, they would have included, some of those wonders would have included the power that we talked about this morning, the power to bring about the universe. However that came about, man's still trying to grapple with it. I mean, you and I know how it came about. But that you can, can you imagine the power? In 1976, which is a long time ago now, I, I remember lying in a bed in St Kilda, thinking about how, how did the universe come to be? And the conclusion that I came to, it had to be a miracle because there was no explanation that science could provide. And you've just heard this morning, they still don't know. They still don't know. However it happened, it required massive power and great intellect. So these are the wonders that the, the, the disciples were declaring in those different languages. The power, the intellect, the moral code of God. You know, God wanted all men and women to be equal, to have purpose, to have value, equal value. That's not something that, that was thought about a couple of years ago, Morris. That was in the mind of God from eternity past. And, and they declared the wonders of God's love and his provision and his care. And, and the people that heard all this, the Jews, a lot of them experienced these things themselves. They would have thought back, back about the Exodus. You know, oh, granddad, he, he was part of that at the Exodus. They would have thought about the parting of the Red Sea. Going into the promised land. Being sustained for 40 years in the wilderness through the manna from heaven. All those things. The wonders of God. This is what they were declaring. But now, but now, this morning, we're going to look at another wonder. Another wonder. So these people here had heard about, they thought about all the past wonders and they were going to hear of the new wonder of God. And that was salvation. The new wonder of God, the new great thing, the miraculous thing, the awesome thing from God was going to be salvation through the promised one by God, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. All, the, all those little terms, they're interchangeable. Do you realise that Christ is not Jesus' surname? It's not Jesus Christ. That's not his surname, right? It's not his surname. 
I reckon if you went out tomorrow and I did a poll and said, could you, could you tell me the surname of the Son of God? A lot of people say, oh yeah, it's, uh, it's just Christ, Jesus Christ. It's not his surname. It's his title. It's a title that he has. It's a job description. It's a purpose. That's why often when you read the scriptures, he's referred to as the Messiah. Sometimes he's, he's referred to as the anointed one because that's what it means. They're interchangeable. In verse 31, you'll, you'll read a little verse there that it talks about, uh, if you've got your Bible, I don't know what sort of Bible you have, but when you get to verse 31, it says, and God raised this Jesus to, well, no, verse 31, there, it's a bit, the one before it. Seeing that you, what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. Now, when I read that, I thought, that's not right. That's not right, because it should be Messiah. Because that's, that's what it is in the King James. But see, I, I'm very blessed, and you're very blessed in this country, that we, we have the freedom to have the scriptures freely available to us. So I reckon, I, I was counting them yesterday, I've, I've, got, I've got about a dozen Bibles and I have about eight different translations. I've even got a Bible with, with four versions in it, you know, the parallel Bible. So, you know, I was at a loose end yesterday, didn't have much to do, so I thought I'd look up this verse. And sure enough, sure enough, in, in the different translations, some of them had the Christ, some of them had the Messiah, and some of them had the Anointed One. In the NIV, depending on what year uh, version you had, they had the Christ and some of them had the Messiah. It, very interchangeable. And in verse 14 of this chapter, we have Peter setting the record straight God regarding God's purpose and God's timetable that I think is you'll find really interesting this morning. I hope you do, because I thought it was fascinating. So these are the things we looked at last week. Just very quickly, we looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we looked, didn't we, at, at John, very briefly, John chapter 14 and, verse, and chapter 16, that it was a promise, promised by Jesus to send the Spirit, which he kept. He gave us a time frame there in, that, in those two chapters, didn't he? He said, when I go away... I will send the Spirit. That was done. That happened at Pentecost. And we also discovered in those two chapters the job description of the Holy Spirit. What was the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming? And we noted, didn't we, too, that, that, that this is, this is the, the way God had planned everything, that this event, Pentecost, was one of the annual feasts on the Jewish calendar that required required the people of of, of of Israel to gather at Jerusalem. Some of the other feasts you could do it at home, you know. Like, say for example, Labor Day tomorrow, you know, it could have been a requirement that we all go down and meet in in, in the city at Trades Hall, because that's you know Labor Day. But you don't have to do that. You can you can do you can have a picnic. Or someone can have a birthday party, or you can just go on holiday. 
But there were three feasts in the Jewish calendar where the people of Israel were required to go to Jerusalem to, to, to celebrate or commemorate these feasts. The Passover, Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. So we had this huge, that's the reason there was this huge crowd. It wasn't an accident. It was planned. That's why they had to wait 10 days. God is a God of order. He plans things meticulously. And here was the plan of God being worked out. And we noted too that the miraculous event was that Peter, that the people heard the, the disciples speaking in their native tongue, declaring the wonders of God. And then we get to verse 14, and Peter then stands up. It says there, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, and he says, Let me explain. Let me explain. Because it's important to be able to explain the word of God to people. It's a privilege for me to stand here this morning and try to explain to you what God is trying to do here. It's a privilege. What happened? Peter explained what happened. You see... I want you to be very clear that Peter now is no longer speaking in tongues, brothers and sisters. He's no longer praising the wonders of God. What you have here is the very first gospel message. The very first gospel sermon ever preached. Important, isn't it? It's important. To go back and see what the the very first gospel message was all about. It was a message from a Jew. Peter was a Jew. It was a message to the Jewish people, to the Jews. When? On a Jewish holiday. About a resurrection, about the resurrection of the Jewish Messiah. It's very important that we understand this. To get understand the context, understand the language, understand what Peter was trying to explain to the people. If you have your Bible or your little uh, device, could you turn with me to chapter uh, of Matthew chapter sixteen? I want to show you something. You've heard me say this a lot of times from the platform. I'm very indebted to the my old men, my old brothers in Christ, the men that taught me, that preached from the platform, who, who, who took me aside and, and taught me the scriptures and uh, said, gave me tips on how to study. And I've shared many of them with you, and I'm going to share this one to you again. I was told, Raph, it's very important to carefully read the word of God. Why was that? Have a look at verse 18 of chapter 16. It says there, and I, this is Jesus saying, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock 
I will build my church. We talked about that last week. Jesus was going to build the church. I will build my church. And then it goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom. Not the key of the kingdom. What does it say, girls? The keys. That means there's more than one. At least there's at least two, maybe three. That's why it's important to carefully read the word of God. Why? Because at Pentecost, Peter used one of the keys. He used one of the keys that Jesus gave him. Now that's that's very significant, brothers and sisters, because the first key opened or introduced the kingdom of God through salvation in Jesus Christ to the Jew. That's the first key. Now if you keep coming back to this church over the next few weeks and we continue in the study of Acts, in chapter 10 you'll see, you'll read about Peter using the second key. I won't tell you what it's about because that will spoil it. And some commentators believe that he uses a third key as well in the book of Acts. That's interesting, isn't it? The first key was used here by Peter. And he so he explains what happened, the event that we talked about last week. He explains it. And it's, and, and, and it's, and it's, it's, the spirit had come, obviously, and there was this big manifestation, wasn't there? But he also explained, we read through, uh, Colleen read to us, he also explained that it was a part of a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Not the whole lot, as the part of it. The part that referred to the Holy Spirit. He identified Peter identified that the, the, the prophecy of the Holy Spirit in, in Joel is the same spirit that came, well, for them it might have been an hour ago. That's as long as it was because this was straight after they were talking in, in, in tongues and languages. Could have been as little as maybe an hour, Elizabeth, an hour ago that event happened. And Peter says, this is the spirit that Joel's talking about. A spirit that they would, would have known about, heard about, taught about. It's also interesting, let me just go back to Acts here. It's also interesting that he, that he tells the people here, he tells them that is the start. Here it is, the start of what? The last days, Sandra. Two thousand. Over 2,000 years ago. The start of the last day. A mark. A flag. A point. In the timetable of God. Have you got that? This meticulous God that can plan the universe. And keep planets in the right orbits. And all that sort of stuff. Right? He has marked. On his timetable. Here it is. Here you go. The start of the last days. It's a big subject in scripture, but it was marked. And 
I also want you to point, notice that he also talks about another sort of day, the, the day of the Lord, which is a completely different day. Don't get those two days confused. Because we're living in the last days. The day of the Lord hasn't happened yet. And then, and then, this is very important, and then, Andrew, it's not working now. Okay, and then he says this, a great declaration and promise in verse 21, he says, everyone, everyone in the last days who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. A promise from God. And in verse 22, it goes on and says, Men of Israel, listen, listen to this. Listen to this. He goes on to explain how it happened. How, how, how did this come about? How did this salvation come about? He says, he says that Jesus of Nazareth, you see, it wasn't Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's not his surname, remember? He was known as what? Jesus of Nazareth. That was his identity on the earth as, as a man. He says he was, he was accredited. Accredited. Now that's very important today, isn't it? To be accredited. You know? You just can't go and do whatever you like. You have to have accreditation, Barbara. Yeah. You do. Accredited means officially recognized or official, uh, provided with official credentials. So he was accredited. Now, it's very important, it's very important who you're accredited by, isn't it? You just can't be accredited by anybody. They have to be, you know, someone that knows what's going on. What does it say there? It says, Jesus of Nazareth, accredited by, you know, you want to to have a top university there, maybe name or theological college or... (laughs) God, accredited by God. You cannot get better accreditation than that. Correct? Accredited by God. And, and this is how God does it. You know, by. How does he do it? You don't get a bit of paper. You don't get a diploma. Nothing you can hang up on the wall. How does he do it? It's a, and, and Peter explains it to him. He says, by miracles, by wonders and signs. Now, this is really important to the people that are listening because they're Jews. And God, right through the Old Testament, proved himself. Things that he wanted done, things that he said, things that he wanted them to do by signs. The Jews always wanted a sign to be sure that it was from God. This thing that we have to do, this, or things that we can't do, or the place we have to go, we want a sign. That's how God stamped his approval. That's how God accredited. And when you look at the Gospels, the four Gospels, every time Jesus did something, Important. Every time he, he introduced something new, a new teaching 
or another aspect of God that people think, oh, I don't know about that. There was always a miracle, Morris. There was always a wondrous sign to prove that what he was saying and what he was doing was accredited by God. That's how God operates. He also, Peter also said that all this stuff was witnessed, right? You've witnessed this. The people he was talking, an hour ago, you saw this. You saw what happened an hour ago. You heard us talking in your own language. Some of these people that, that were in Jerusalem actually would have seen some of the miracles, girls, that Jesus actually performed because they would have been alive then. And, of course, there was a big hoo-ha in Jerusalem about the resurrection of Jesus. They all would have heard about that. And here in verse 33, we have the event of the Spirit coming. And listen to what what, uh, Peter says. This is why it's very exciting, I think. He says, Exalted the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promise the Holy Spirit has been poured out what you now see and hear. That's how I know it only happened about an hour ago. Because Peter says, you know, all that I've just, you've just witnessed it yourself. So all the Spirit coming could only have happened. How? If Jesus was alive and he was alive he had ascended up to heaven he was seated at God's right hand and don't forget what I read to you last week chapter 16 verse 7 the Lord says unless I go away unless I go to heaven unless I go the counsellor will not come to you but he says but if I go if I go I will send him to you and that's what happened could only have happened if Jesus was alive. And then he explained the why. So why did all this happen? Why? The Jews were the people of God. Why did they need salvation through this man called Jesus of Nazareth? Now, do you remember last week when I, when I gave you a couple of verses about the Holy Spirit's job description? Do you remember the one in John 16 and 8? Answers no, right? Okay. Good, because I'm going to read it out to you. The Lord Jesus said that, this is the first thing he said about the Holy Spirit, that when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt. That's the very first thing that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would, would do. And what an amazing result and response we have here in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, After the first gospel message, after Peter said all the things that, we, that he said that we've read about right, in chapter 2, all these things, right? it says there, When the people, verse 30 said, when the people heard this, what? They were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. There, brothers and sisters, is the spirit at work. Right? That's the first thing 
that we read, the Spirit doing after the first gospel message. He convicted the people that were there of their sin. Now, Peter wasn't a great preacher. He wasn't a great orator. What did he actually say? He didn't have any catchy phrases. He didn't give any really, you know, he didn't give any fantastic object lessons. Eh? That was good last week, wasn't it? Mm. He just gave them the facts. He told them the truth. He just recounted God's plan, God's purpose, and their response to that. Nothing fancy. Facts that these people knew to be true. The Spirit cut them to the heart. That word, that little phrase, that analogy means to overcome with anguish, grief or suffering. It means to badly wound someone emotionally, you know, in their inner being. Which brought about that question that we read. Which is a question still being used today. What shall we do? I don't know if you've ever spoken to, to, uh, to, to people about the Lord, but this question would come up, so what, Raph? So what do you want me to do about all that? It's still being asked today. When you talk to people about God, about Jesus, about heaven, so what? Now, I want you to be quite clear on this, right? The answer that was given by the Apostle Peter led by the Spirit, at the very first gospel presentation, it was a very simple answer. Very simple answer. A couple of verses. You see, it was never meant to be complicated or difficult to know what God requires of you to have your sins forgiven. Never been difficult, never been complicated or even mysterious. You know, some, some, some church groups think that, you know, they have the the secret of getting right with God. It's not meant to be like that. God always wanted mankind, you and me, to know the answer. Thank you. And the answer is very simple. Repent. They ask the question, brothers, what shall we do? Peter says, repent. And be baptised. In other words, to be identified with Christ. Repent means to turn from sin. To turn or change direction that you're going in. To change the attitude that you have. To turn from sin, rebellion, selfishness, whatever it might be, to God. It's not just saying sorry. It's not just an apology. Repentance is not that. It has an action along with it. Repent means to turn from something to something else. Which is very interesting when you think about who Peter was talking about. 
the people of God. He's saying, repent from going that way. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. The other big question, the other big question that comes up very often is sin. Because Peter says there, ask him to forgive you your sins. What is sin? That's a good question, isn't it? I mean, we would probably be able to answer that, I think. There's sins are, you know, the things like murder, uh, robbery, uh, drug dealing, lying, cheating, supporting Collingwood. No, not, not, not the last one. But I want you to think about this thing I'm going to say to you right now. If you have your Bible, go to John chapter 16 and verse 9. Because that comes after chapter 16, verse 8, which said, When he, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. Oh. Oh. This is what the problem was here. These people did not believe in Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, to be the Saviour. That's what sin is. Not believing, trusting, following Jesus Christ. That's interesting, isn't it? Sure, the other things, they're the outward manifestations of not believing and following Christ. Not accepting him as God's son is sin. Not accepting why he came to earth to be, to bring salvation to mankind. That's the sin. Not following his teachings. That's sin. Not accepting and following the example of his life regarding morality about loving your neighbor is sin. Not accepting him as Lord, God's anointed to redeem mankind is sin. But if you do accept him, if you do believe him, it says, he said there in verse 39, the promise, the promise, if you repent, your sins are forgiven. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are in Montmorency. Oh, it doesn't actually say that, does it? It doesn't say Montmorency. It says for all who are afar off. And that does include you and me this morning. So the question I have to ask you this morning is, what is your relationship with God? What is your, we actually mentioned this already a few times. People talked about a relationship with God. What is your relationship with God? That's important. Do you have one? That's often asked, isn't it? Do you have a relationship with God? Oh. I don't know. How would you describe it, your relationship with God? One answer is, I I don't have a relationship with God. Oh, but you do, you see. As far as God is concerned, you do. You see, we often think a relationship means you know, a, a positive thing, right? Doesn't it? Uh, they're friends, uh, perhaps lovers, you know, married to the person, uh, relatives, you know, that's how we, we think of a relationship. We think of it as a positive thing. But there's a negative aspect, isn't there, to a relationship? 
Because your relationship with someone could be they are your enemy, your adversary. They could be estranged, alienated, unfriendly. So you have a relationship with God, whether you realise it or not. And the consequences of, of, your, of your relationship with God uh, are very real, far-reaching, and they're personal, directed at you. That's why these people, when they realised what was going on, they didn't say, oh, yeah, that the government, did, oh, that was, that was Pilate. Uh, no, no, the, the, no, they knew. So what should we do? Because they owned it. They knew they didn't believe in Jesus. They knew they didn't accept him. They owned it. They knew what their relationship was, absolutely. They were enemies of God. And, and God talks about that. If you're not, if God's not your friend, he's your enemy. That's the relationship. God, one more, one more slide. You see, God provided a warning for us today. Salvation that's talked about here is still available today. The offer is still there today, right now. The same remedy for a broken relationship or an unfriendly relationship with God, rebellion or unbelief is the same remedy as it was back then. Repent. Repent and be baptised or repent and identify yourself with Jesus. Follow Jesus as your saviour. As your saviour. Because that is the only way, the only way to have your sins forgiven. That's what it says in verse 38. And it says in verse 21, it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. Which means those who don't call on the name of the Lord, what? will not be saved. Very simple, very clear. I pray that you take the warning, heed the warning, claim the promise and accept Jesus Christ as your own and personal saviour and allow God to bring you into a loving and saving relationship with him. Thank you.